Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left taller. Jab Productions present Edge of Sports bit. Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Schmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarn. <laughs> Joined as always. By a man who single-handedly is responsible for keeping the Boston Celtics alive in the hearts and minds of the people of this nation, Dan Baker, DB! How have you done it, man? I guess we'll just forget about the fact that there also the Thunder without Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook. I raised all that so you would have to say that. And oh. we're joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. I'm so mean. How you doing, coach? <laughs> you let him set you up like that. Uh, when was the last time Anthony Morrow did anything good? Uh, oh, my God. 28 points? The other night. You don't want to mess with Morrow. Not when you're coming at him with Kelly Olenek. <laughs> but speaking of this, Dave, just to get back at you. They say Kobe is now number one in history for most missed shots. That's if true. they had elaborated that to go through high school and playground, your name would have been there, I'm I sure. I would have been in the discussion. <laughs> but you know who else is in those discussions? People like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. John Havlicek. John Havlicek's yeah. the record he broke. So you got to be great enough to be given the rock, for goodness right, sakes. Right, right, right. And I know that doesn't quite apply to Kobe, but it definitely applies to me. <laughs> The missed shots come because they want Dave Z shooting that rock, baby. And also, we didn't play in terms of efficiency back then. People more just wanted to see the glory of the arc, the spinning of the ball. I mean, because that was part of the show back then. So, you know, it's like it wasn't really about whether you could make shots or not. It was about seeing me. Why did I do that, DC? I should have The vertical jump. Five the extension nine of the, the arms. <laughs> I, every time I get shorter and I come from a different place. I know. Wherever. It, it's ridiculous. Well, we got a hell of a show this week. We're going to come back after this break, and we're going to talk about the controversy or should there even be a controversy around Derrick Rose and some of his comments. Very interesting discussion from my point of view. We are also going to talk to Richard Kent, our women's college basketball expert, about the upcoming season in women's NCAA hoops. A lot of fascinating storylines there. And we're going to talk to Jamila King from Color Lines. Uh, she's putting on the facing race of uh it's kind of like this incredible convention of of racial justice activists this weekend in Dallas and I'm speaking on a panel with Jamila about sports and racial politics and we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about a preview for everybody who's not in Dallas. You're the moderator, right? I am the moderator. Right. That's yeah. right. Jeff yeah. Chang, Robert Holden, Jamila, it's going to be a great panel. Um and of course we can't do any of this though until we come back right after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. 
Boom. We're back here on Energy Sports Radio, joined by the coach. Kevin, how you doing, coach? Oh, man, feeling good. Oh, man. Well, if you're Derrick Rose, you're not feeling so good. My goodness. What did Derrick Rose do? Did he spit on the floor of the White House? Did he wear an American flag thong? What did he do that offended so many so vociferously? What did he do? Well, Derrick Rose, and this is the quote from the Chicago Tribune, quote, broke the stupid meter, end quote. How did Derrick Rose, quote, break the stupid meter? How is he called, quote, moronic, end quote? Because he was addressing the fact that in the first eight games of the season, he had sat out four, a couple of ankle sprains, of course, coming back from a, a brutal tear of all throughout his knee, meniscus, ACL, all that. And he came back. He's playing his first meaningful ball since 2011. And he was asking about the games that he'd set out already. And Derek Rose said, quote, I'm thinking about after I'm done with basketball, having graduations to go to, having meetings to go to. I don't want to be in my meetings all sore or be at my two-year-old son's graduation all sore just because of something I did in the past. Or as one writer put it, he might as well just said, sorry, Coach Tibbs, can't go tonight. I want to be able to shake hands with sneaker people in 2027. Ouch. <laughs> and I mean, and the, the kind of vitriol that he's being subjected to is, is really it's off the chain and off the page. People are saying like mainstream people, we're not talking like Internet fringes, but mainstream people, athletes are saying you don't want to risk it. Retire. Other people are saying stop talking about it like you play football. It's basketball. Mm-hmm. The injuries are not that bad as what you're talking about. People like Bill Walton and Kevin McHale might disagree about mm-hmm. that, but that's another subject. But he is just getting pilloried, like saying that, look, you just clearly don't have the heart for this, and if you don't, stop taking the bull's money. You already have more than you'll ever be able to spend. Go find yourself something else to do. Other folks are pointing out that, like, look, this is somebody who uh, has basically been protected and sheltered his entire athletic life, and this is the first time his talent has ever been challenged in his entire existence because of these injuries and he's shrinking away from the responsibility to overcome the fear from these injuries like the equivalent of someone who gets in a car crash and then doesn't want to drive a car again it's like it's almost like the mental is worse than the physical so all kinds of people putting Derek Rose on the psychologist couch but the first question that's the most important I'll throw it to you coach do you have any problem honest and true with what he said yeah (laughs) on a different level than what I'm hearing though um, it, that wasn't a that wasn't a very bright statement to say. I don't I don't know if it comes from the heart. I don't know if it comes from uh, not being articulate enough to. Uh, and I hate saying articulate because that's what folks say. Oh, he speaks so well. Like like we 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 aren't we we can't talk. I'm talking about black people. But I am going to stay on that topic, Dave, because you know these guys, these athletes are so multi-talented and multi-gifted on the court and can do so many things. And they have, you, you said interest, I disagree with that. You said all the money in the world and more money you can ever spend. But I don't hear people saying that about Trump. But he has a great uh, uh, um, income. So why don't you put yourself and circle you around with people that can protect you from saying bozo statements like this? And, and I don't understand, you know, I'm, 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 we're in D.C., and I got a lot of thoughts, so I'm rambling here. But no, you, no, no. Please stay with me on this one. Clinton Portis and Santana Moss are cats from the U. They had this city. The city was theirs, even when the Redskins losing. And the, those cats never. 
tried to uh, up their profile by taking classes to speak better, to articulate better, to uh, get their thoughts out better. And I don't understand that because they had this they, they had this city by the tail and could have went anywhere, you know, uh, post-career. And I don't understand how athletes don't take advantage of that. They do all the things. They can dunk. They're multi-talented. They can do every phase of, the, uh, of on-court activity or on-the-field activity and then don't take care of it on that end. And that's what I think um, I have the issue with Rose here. Coming off of what he, what he said, what he's been through, he's played, what, 10 games in the last two years. You can't say this. You open yourself up for that fire. And where is his advisor to say that? And his brother's a nut who says all sorts of things off, off the cuff of his head. So that's where I'm getting in, into this more so than the statement. I just think if you, if you felt that, he needed to hold that one in. Okay. I, I disagree with you on a couple of fronts. And let, let me c- come in on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, just so we don't overgeneralize, uh, it's actually a lot of athletes do take classes in in the off season. I mean, when I was working a little bit at Comcast Sportsnet here, you had a lot of like well known people who would come in just to practice to get like that, Good. and it would never be on. You know, they're trying to practice their articulation, their broadcast skills, because this is something that they really want to do. And it's interesting. they called it like their intern program, and it's people who make a couple million dollars a year. And right. I, would, I would always talk to them, and they would just be like, look, you have to have a plan for when you're done. This looks like fun. Or they would say it looks like it beats working. And I would right. be like, you damn but, right. But just and, endorsements, and Dave. But it's also, it's like the, the, the players associations, they um, – they offer classes, and a lot of like players who are just less known, like they take advantage of them. Yes. They, they go to business school, they go to they places should. where they try to figure it out. So players do do that. So let's not just like you mentioned Portis and Moss. Right, that's not everybody. Right, just to say. Right. Well, no. The, I, the, go ahead. Yeah, just don't yeah. want to overgeneralize on right. it. Just like I shouldn't overgeneralize by saying he's got all the money in the world just because he has a lot of money, because we know how many players end up broke because of the people who surround them. That's true too. The articulation thing, though, forget about how racially loaded the word articulate is. Let's forget about that. But the articulation thing that you raise, I disagree with because when I read his quote, I actually think it's quite articulate. I just think it's the sort of thing which you're not supposed to say, but that a lot of players think. Players make, quote-unquote, what Deion Sanders calls business decisions all the Mm -hmm. damn time. Time. I mean, I'm watching, and this is nothing new. I was watching this um, documentary about Jim Brown because, you know, I'm doing the Jim Brown mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. And this safety who wasn't small, I remember, I forget the name of the safety, but he's 200 pounds. He would say that his his tactic for tackling Brown was to literally let him go by and then grab him by the shoulders pads from behind. <laughs> You know, like he would not, he would, he would do like a bullfighter going ole and then grab, and he was like, yeah, that was a business decision because you just didn't want to get knocked by right, Jim Brown. Right. But, but you really think Derrick Rose is talking about 2027? I think he's talking about 2020. I think when he says he wants to be I mean, at his son's graduation, yeah. his son is two. So he's talking about 16 years from now. I, I don't. Uh, I think that, um, look, and I was talking with Atan Thomas. Atan Thomas was giving Derrick Rose a lot of love today, former NBA player. Because Atan you know, had the situation where he had um, an irregular heartbeat, and he had to have his entire sternum cracked open. Mm. It's, a, it's insane surgery. Like, like literally, they have to like imagine a spike and a hammer, and they have to just bam crack open your entire sternum cleanly to to repair the heart. And and he's and Atan was also talking about how many players and Atan would never do this but who would shoot themselves up with all kinds of numbing agents they could get out there on the court. And it's just like, 
he wouldn't do it. Atan said he wouldn't do it on basic principle because he's like, no, then it's like you own me. Like I'm an animal, like, you know, like I'm a piece of meat to you. Mm. And it's like if Derek Rose is expressing that, then to me, it's like he's on, what he's doing really is telling a story that people don't want told about professional athletes. But it's the same story we see when Coach Pop keeps his players on the bench, extending their careers. It's the same stories we that aren't told but that we see when LeBron James comes off a season where he's carrying Dwayne Wade and is just like, my career is not going to be as long if I'm playing with these older cats. Yes and no, Dave, I, I, because we're talking about sprained ankles. And everybody, we get sprained ankles walking down the steps here. So I, I, if he was saying that about knee, and, and I can understand when he's sitting out for the playoffs and I'm not, I'm, I'm not rushing back and all that, that's one thing. We're talking about he's had, he missed two games off the of sprain. If you were a ankles. Chicago fan, would it, would it piss you off? What Absolutely. I, look, I sit out the playoffs. I'm not ready to come back. That's a personal choice. I'm not, I, don't know, I don't know your pain. I can understand that. But sprained ankles, we've all have had sprained ankles. And for him to say this after sprained ankle, it's a hard sell. Yeah, a very hard that. sell. I could see that, and I, you know, in Chicago's a tortured fan base. And then there's the flip side of this, where I don't think any of these players trust Coach Tibbs to manage minutes. I mean, he he wow. he will run these guys into the ground to win a regular season away game in New Orleans. And a lot of play, you know, that's going to trust that's me when deep. I say this. That's going to get old after a <laughs> while, deep. too. That's trust deep. me on this. This is Edge of Sports Radio. I'm Dave Zirin. Hey, we'll be back right after this and talk to one of our favorites, Richard Kent. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. How you doing, coach? My man. Our next guest. So happy to have him on the show. Yes, sir. He is the person we turn to when we need to understand the college basketball landscape, uh, particularly from the women's side, uh, something that we do like to cover on this show. I think it's the most compelling drama in college basketball, period. And this year is no exception. I have more questions than answers, and that's why we have him on the line. His name is Richard Kent. Richard, how you doing, sir? Good, Dave. How are you? Good. Do you hear voice? Look. The first question, and to me it's the question that stands above anything else we're going to talk about this season, um, is your neck of the woods. It's UConn. Brianna Stewart, still just a junior, which kind of blows my mind. Mariah Jefferson, Kia Stokes, 40-0 and 0 last year. Is there any compelling reason to think that there will be any kind of letdown in Stewart's? Listen, let's put it this way. It's UConn and the rest of the world. Okay, there's nobody. I would say the gap this year between UConn and number two, who despite the pundits calling it South Carolina, I would call it Notre Dame, is as wide and as gaping as it's ever been. This team is comparable to the UConn 2000 and 2001 teams. Mm. Now, you heard some of the players I mentioned, Brianna Stewart, uh, foremost in my mind, um, to, to us, so at least we can learn a little bit more about UConn. Who are the players other than Stewart and Jefferson, Kia Stokes? Who are the players that you think people should keep an eye on? Entertaining players, people who you think will be people that we should watch. Well, obviously you're uh, you're leaving out Kalina Mosqueda a little. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, 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 yes. She's pro- 
probably the best shooter in the country. She's, you know, she's had weight issues because of injuries, but she's got to keep her weight down. And there is a fabulous freshman who played uh, on the preliminary Canadian Olympic team named Kia Nurse, N-U-R-S-E. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's she's an international player, right? She's from Canada, you said. Correct. Wow. And so so that's some of the folks that we should be looking at. And it's interesting, though. One, I guess, drama, because I agree with you that it's UConn. I mean, this is even worse than, like, Tiger Woods versus the field from about a decade ago. I mean, it's it's them and everybody else. But one drama within the drama that I found interesting is that as great as Brianna Stewart is, as much as she's, uh, you know, the, the defending player of the year, many national publications are picking Jewel Lloyd from Notre Dame to be the player of the year this year. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, that brings us down to the interesting argument or discussion of MOP, most outstanding player, or MVP. Jewel Lloyd means more to Notre Dame mm. than Brianna Stewart means to UConn because Jewel Lloyd is Notre Dame. Right. I, I mean, I, this is a crazy statement to make, and God forbid anything happens to Brianna Stewart or she, you know, she blows out her knee or something. I think if that happened, UConn would still be in the mix for a national championship. Would certainly be a Final Four team. If something happened to Jewel Lloyd, season over, Notre Dame. Mm. It, it is interesting. I mean, Jewel Lloyd. Uh, it's because you mentioned that about MOP versus MVP. We're talking about the Wooden Award, really, when we're talking about Player of the Year. Um, h- how is the Wooden Award traditionally uh, judged players? Do they do it by MOP or MVP? You know, I don't have the list in front of me, but my, I, I would tell you that uh, it would be MVP. Uh, and it's not always a player on the national, you know, the national championship team that wins it. In other words, I, I, I'm certain that Brittany Griner won it at least uh, one of the three years that she didn't win a national championship at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, she she certainly did. Um, so some other questions I have. I've, I've ran. I should just be asking you what you're looking at this year, but I'm being a little bit selfish because I have some of my own questions. Uh, one one player that really intrigues me is is Rashonda Gary for Cal. She dropped thir- 43 points in a game last year. Um, how good can Cal be, and how good can Gary be? Uh, Gary's excellent. Gary is certainly a top 10 to 12 player nationally, and I love Lindsay Gottlieb as a coach. She is very cerebral, uh, and I'm, she's a Brown grad. I'm not saying it because she's a Brown grad, but she is. Uh, I think she has a background in either math or engineering. And I've gone to two or three of her press conferences, and I've been really impressed with her. I'm impressed with the intricate style of the offense that she runs and how she's been able in a relatively short period of time to compete, uh, really compete on not equal footing but almost equal footing with Stanford. Mm-hmm. No, that, that's it's an incredible program uh, in terms of uh, its ability to be at the top tier of the NCAA women's landscape. Um, the, the other question, once again, staying pretty selfish here, um, the all-time leading scorer in UMD history, male or female, uh, is not Stevie Francis. It's not Juan Dixon. It's, of course, Alyssa Thomas. Uh, gone for UMD. UMD, of course, a Final Four team a year ago. Now they're entering the Big Ten. What are your expectations for the Terps? Well, the Big Ten does an interesting thing. Uh, and I spoke to one of the head coaches, and the coach told me why. He, Well, I've just given it away by saying a he, but the, the coach <laughs> told me that 
that the Big Ten uh, in their preseason poll only picks three teams because they don't want to create an issue with teams 11, 12, 13, and 14 with their coaches, their athletic directors saying, why you only pick 13th in the league or it could hurt attendance. So they only picked the top three teams, and uh, Maryland was the number one team picked. Now I think, uh, you know, going back to alma maters and stuff, that my alma mater, Rutgers, is being ignored. They won the uh, NIT last year. They got snubbed for the NCAA with a 19 and 12 record. They have uh, their top eight players back, and they have a player, Tyler Scaife, at point guard, who is every bit as good as a sophomore as both Cappy Pondexter and Tasha Pointer. Wow. Now, wait a minute, though. Uh, are you saying that reports of the demise of Vivian Stringer are greatly exaggerated? I can't say that because I'm not a Vivian Stringer fan. I'm saying that when you push her out of the AAC, out of the Big East, when she doesn't have to play UConn theoretically six times in a se- three times in a season uh, and suffer 40 to 47-point defeats, I think it's, it's going to help her psychologically. Because I think those – she had never seen anything like that in her coaching career at, at Cheney State or at Iowa. And I mm-hmm. think – that, you know, without losses like that, uh, psychologically her teams are going to be stronger and she's going to be stronger as a coach. The Big Ten is very underrated, I feel. Iowa's very good. Nebraska's very good. Penn State is very good. Michigan State, despite the loss of, of their center, is very good. Obviously, we talked about Maryland, but there is no great team. There is nobody who you would anoint uh, as a Final Four team. And, you know, that's that's been the story of, of, of the Big Ten and men's basketball, too. Well, uh, here's an amazing stat. The UConn men, mm-hmm. since 1999, have won more national championships than the Big Ten. Wow. I mean, which which just blows my mind. Now, this year, and I know we're talking about the women, but this year there's a Final Four team in the Big Ten uh, men's basketball, and that's Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts. They have the best player in the country, as far as I'm concerned, in um, Frank Kaminsky. And they have a top-ten player in Sam Decker, who will definitely be a lottery pick in the NBA draft. Mm, that's really interesting. You know, the, the, Yeah, the, the UConn dynasty has, I would say, floated beneath uh, the, the ether somewhat in terms of discussion, hype, etc. Maybe because of Calhoun leaving and ha- part of it being under Kevin Ollie. Maybe because a couple of these teams were teams that just seemed to get very hot at the right time. But it hasn't been the sort of thing where people have, you know, oohed and odd over their success over the last 12 years, like other schools that have done similar or not even as well, <laughs> Duke, for example. <laughs> well, let, let's put it this way. I mean, Calhoun is a great, great coach but he's not a beloved coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rightly or wrongly, and he had two incredible, incredible upset wins over Krzyzewski. But rightly or wrongly, he's just not going to go down as Mike Krzyzewski. Yeah. It's not going to happen. He's not going to go down as Dean Smith. And he's got as many national championships. Mm. I mean, we, you know, you know, Dean Smith did a lot of other stuff. I mean, if you read if you read the the, the books about Dean Smith and what he did for segregation and mm-hmm. integration and all that stuff, I mean, D- Dean Smith was bigger than the game. Mm-hmm. Coach, you got a question? Yeah, yeah I, I I I got to move on to that that Calhoun thing. Why do you think that is with Calhoun? I mean, there's a lot going on with Connecticut. They talk about you know d- dirty uh, or whatever word you want to use uh or is his personality you got to tell me more about that one 
UConn has what's known as the Horde, uh, H-O-R-D-E, uh, in terms of coverage by local newspapers. They send out on the road, both for women's and for men's basketball, as many, more reporters for women's basketball and as many for men's basketball as, let's say, Kentucky or North Carolina. And Calhoun had issues with a few of those reporters. One uh, uh, excellent writer, Jeff Jacobs, from uh, the Hartford Current. And there, there was just a lot of negative stuff year after year after year about Calhoun and the papers. And you don't, and, I, and I read the Durham newspapers, and I read the um, uh, Kentucky newspapers, and you don't see that stuff about, uh, uh, let's say, a Calipari or Shashevsky or Roy Williams yeah. it, it, or Tom Izzo. You just you just don't see it. Yeah. I mean, Cal- Calhoun was described by a lot of writers as abrasive. Mm. They they don't do myth making in the Northeast in college sports in the same kind of way. They they just don't. Uh... No, of course not. Hey, I got to say, Richard, we, let's get you back on soon because I want to assess this with you as the season goes on, particularly in the women's side. Who's going to unseat UConn? Who is looking at like they're going to be uh, the MVP of this whole thing? And let, let's, so let's keep talking as the months dro- uh, go on, okay? Well, can we say a word about one of the great athletic performances of, of, of all time in Roger Federer's year this year? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the guy, the guy has won more matches, more sets than any player in tennis this year. Hey, Richard Good Kent, stuff. thanks so much for joining us on Edge of Sports. Take care. Thanks, Richard. We got to go to break right now. I do want to do a rivalry show soon. That would be the business. But let's go to break right now. We'll be back right after this with Jamila King. One, one, two, two. Don't one, two, move. Three, Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, joined by the coach, Kevin Dahe. How you doing, coach? Mama. We are joined now by one of the organizers of the upcoming Facing Race Conference in Dallas, senior editor at Color Lines, a pontificator about sporting matters. So <laughs> excited to have her on the show. Her name is Jamila King. Jamila, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Dave? Very well, indeed. So, first and foremost, I thought this would be a good time to talk to people out there about Facing Race, about this amazing conference that you're putting on in Dallas. But, obviously, the real reason I'm having you on is because you and I are doing a panel together at Facing Race about sports. So, let's start right there. Why did you, when you were planning the conference, think, we need to do a sports session at Facing Race? And, and also, Pop, please, you should probably explain a little bit what Facing Race is. Yeah. yeah, of course. So first off, Facing Race is a national conference. It's presented by Race Forward, which is the published color lines, and that's the publication that I work for. Um, and it's the largest multiracial intergenerational gathering for racial justice in the country. So this year's conference is the largest in our history. We've got, 44, we've got people from 44 states um, and six countries outside of the U.S., um, and it's also the 10-year anniversary of the conference. So, you know, we've had them in Baltimore and Chicago and the Bay Area, um, in New York, and now in Dallas. And, you know, I, it's, it's always a ton of fun. Um, you know, I think people in the racial justice movement come together to talk about the big issues of the day, but also to have fun with one another, to laugh with one another, um, and to talk about culture. You know, that's, that's a really omnipresent part of all of our lives. And that's sort of where I come in. So I'm... 
you know, on the Color Lines team, I'm the person who looks out at culture and pop culture specifically. Um, and when coming up with the conference, we were trying to figure out, you know, what are the ways that we can sort of get into the bigger issues of the day and talk about politics and talk about race in a way that's accessible for folks and in a way that really touches their everyday lives. And mm. sports is one of those areas. Um, so, you know, we decided to, to actually put together a, a panel that talks about a lot of the leading issues of um, today that deal with race in the country. And there are a lot, you know, um, as you very well know. But, uh, you know, the, the issue over the Redskins' name is, mm-hmm. has been a big one. So we've got um, a man named Robert Holden, who is from the National Coalition of American Indians, who's going to join us. Um, myself, you, and then also Jeff Chang, who just published a book called Who We Be, the sort of a history of racialization and multiculturalism in the U.S. Um, so, you know, it's going to be an opportunity for us to talk about the things that we care about, to laugh, to have fun, to shake our heads, and to talk about race in a way that's accessible and that's uh, approachable for folks. See, you mentioned the Washington name. Um what are some other subjects, ideally, that you would want uh, an event about race and sports to cover? Because I mean, there, there's, there's, it's, it's almost like there's so much to choose from. Oftentimes, the, right. the most of the discussions we have in this country about race and racism, particularly in between uh, social movements, usually revolve mm-hmm. around sports. Right. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of the issues we're just grabbing from the headlines, right? Um, you have earlier this season the NFL, which, you know, all, I've watched it all my life, and I feel like I've never seen a time when it's been so popular and so scrutinized the public. Um, and so, of course, earlier this season you had Ray Rice and the whole issue of domestic violence and how that issue was sort of racialized, right? How a lot of you have been wrote about this in a recent column, how a lot of the talk was about how violent black men are and and how this is a unique to hip-hop culture or urban culture. Um, and, you know, that's a conversation that comes up oftentimes when black players are involved in things and they're asked to speak for the race. And then a lot mm. of folks are trying to look for these cultural explanations of what's wrong with them. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, you know, we're really going to see where the conversation goes. But I'm really interested in talking about, you know, just sort of the history, right, of, of different moments in history when sports have really um, sort of, open the door for conversations about politics. You know, you think about Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier, you know, those are really seminal moments in our culture. Um, And they happen on the playing field. And I think that's a really important place to start for a lot of folks. Now, forgive me if the question I'm about to ask you is also one that might come up in Dallas. You'll just then have a little head forward (laughs) on this. But as, as a journalist... How do you write about something about Ray Rice? Like, what, what's what's the methodology? Because on the one hand, there are, you know, because of racism. Racism, one of the effects of racism is that it organizes people really against their will on racial grounds as an objective reality. And because of racism, there are very real factors that studies show, for example, inhibit women of color from going to the police if they're in abusive situations. Right. These are facts. But at the same time, when you talk about domestic violence or violence against women as a quote-unquote black issue, it reproduces what is an ugly, unfounded, untrue stereotype that violence against women is a black problem alone. So how do you parse it? How do you dissect it? How do you discuss these things in a way that's helpful from an anti-racist perspective while not feeding the beast that says it's a black issue? I guess that's really also a question about intersectionality. Like, how do you talk about gender in the context of racism without making it seem like sexism is, you know, particularly a black issue, for example? Right. 
So, I mean, it's interesting because this is this particular issue is something that we talked about really, really in depth um, in our editorial meetings at Color Lens. And what we struggled with, I think a lot of people struggle with, right? This was an awful thing that happened. Um, you know, you had both parties talking publicly. Um, a lot of the conversation actually, interestingly, turned to Janae Rice, right? And how could she stay with someone who beat her and she must be weak and, you know, she, he's a million-dollar athlete and, of course, he has to stay there. But, you know, at Color Lines, I think one of the things that we always try to do is approach issues from a structural level, right? And so we look, we first and, and sit down and we take this individual issue and we, like, take it apart and then we look at it and we say, okay, first of all, what are the rates of domestic violence in the United States? Um, you know, can we say for sure that black men are more violent than white men? And no, we can't. You know, domestic violence is an issue that impacts every single community. It's so, you know, deeply um, personal for a lot mm -hmm. of folks that a lot of folks don't talk about it publicly. Um, and so I think that that's the biggest thing for us is to start with the structural, to start with, you know, black men are vilified. We don't want to, you know, put Janae Rice out to the side. We don't want to minimize what happened. We don't want to, you know, ignore that this issue is happening. But we also want to talk about the fact that the way that this is being played out in the media is, also problematic, right? And I think that's often the position that we find ourselves in is we end up critiquing a lot of the media critique of what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's an equally important part of it, right? Because I think it's basic media literacy. I think a lot of folks are really troubled by what they see because it makes it seem as if, you know, their communities are being distorted and, and their issues that are close to their hearts aren't being told truthfully. And so we want to really get to the bottom of that. Um, mm. And we really do try to, you know, come at it from a perspective of saying, okay, what's the bigger issue here and how can we talk about this in a way that doesn't minimize the subject but also lifts up the structural barriers that um, come up when you're talking about something like this. No, that's that's very powerful. That's very powerful indeed. You, you know, one, one thing that I'm definitely – because I, I should probably explain to folks that I was asked to uh, moderate, which means I get to toss the questions out uh, <laughs> to the folks on the panel who then have to answer them. And one question that I've been trying to think about the right way to phrase it and the right way to ask it, but it just seems like – like there, there's so much academic writing that's come out, sociological writing, many from African American writers about, like on the whole of it, sports has been professional sports and the values associated with sports have been destructive to the black community. Mm -hmm. That these mm -hmm. are destructive values, and my personal view, of course, is that it's it's not helpful to look at anything as destructive or constructive. That you have to you know piece, take these things apart. And look at right. it structurally, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like it's like not like all cultural arguments. Like, okay, would racism disappear if sports went away? Uh, hardly, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, but at the same time, I would want to ask, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are about the role that sports plays, in particularly uh, urban black communities, and mm -hmm. is it something that is a positive or a negative? You know, it's funny because I just finished reading a book by um, a, a neuropharmacologist named Carl Hart, and he's at Columbia, and he wrote this book called High Price. And he, he kind of debunks a lot of uh, myths about drug culture and, and um, a lot of myths surrounding what it means to grow up in an urban area. And he uses his own personal memoir to do that. And one of the things that he says, and I think I could really relate to that, and I think that a lot of folks can relate to it, 
is that sports is actually, when you grow up playing sports, it's a really, really important sort of developmental tool, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, there's a way, there's an accountability that you learn to people. There's learning how to play with a team. There's keeping yourself in physical shape. There's doing well in school so that you can actually stay eligible to play sports. And so I think that those are the really sort of basic things that folks don't pay enough attention to, right? It's like, yes, the culture of sports, you know, there's there's money, there's misogyny, there's all of this. And then there's also the very basic stuff around, like, how does this help kids survive their environments and survive their day-to-day lives? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think that's one important point. I mean, I, I think also just, you know, sports is our culture. It's a huge part of our culture. And I think that there's a reason why, you know, every Sunday – you know, folks in every black community get together to watch football games. Um, it's it's deeply embedded. It's, it's a way to come together. It's a way to celebrate. Um, it's often a way, I think, for a lot of folks in, in cities to celebrate their communities and their cities and that are increasingly being gentrified and all these things. Um, but, you know, I think just like music, just like entertainment at large, there are issues. It's, it's a reflection of our culture. It's a reflection of all the really destructive things in our culture, and it's just on a bigger public scale. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think you can't say it's good or bad. I think it's, it's, it's us, you know. It's a really important part of our culture. Yeah, I, I'd say it's one of those things that it can sometimes feel all so all-powerful and so all-consuming that people latch onto it as, well, this must be the reason for the problems right. instead right. of actually looking – at what the root problems are. Now, I'm actually I'm right. sitting and here I'm, with Kevin McKnight, his book, uh, Hooked on Hoops. He's been a referee in D.C. for 30 years, and that's something he talks about a lot, though, about the positive and the negative that comes from the hoop obsession at such a young age mm-hmm. by a lot of kids mm-hmm. and how that shapes ambition and dreams and all the rest of it. Am, am I mischaracterizing your work, Coach? No, no, and, and that's it. Um, the good or bad situation, it's because it, excessive addiction mm-hmm. And that's the problem. And especially as it, as it relates to, to youth, there is no second dream. And right. that's where it becomes so destructive, you see. Um, I, I'm a sports guy all my life. Love it. I uh, had my daughter play. She got scholarship through it. Great thing. I'm a, I'm a sports fanatic. That's why I'm on this show. And, and, I, and I especially love the, the politics and race issue of everything that you're talking about here. But, man, I see it every day. It is a one-way street you're on a train heading downhill with no brakes and that is just wrong there is no second dream play but have a second dream and that's so it's just what you two have been saying and uh i want to listen to you guys talk but no I, lo- I love the topic that's a deep no that's yeah. a deep way to put I, that resonates with me jamila from my work with kids is that second dream resonate with you the idea of that yeah i mean absolutely it's you know i think about um the folks that i know the the you know, like you have this dream of becoming an NBA player, and that's that's it, right? Like you don't you – know, a lot of times those are only options, right? But you said it best is that you can either shoot basketball or you can sell drugs. And so, you know, I think that the fact that there are few, so few opportunities um, in a lot of the communities where a lot of these major athletes are coming from really speaks to – um, you know, how, how devastating it can be when you don't realize your dream. Um, mm. And, you know, so few people do, right? Like, it's a meritocracy. So the folks who do make it to the NBA are like 0.001% of folks who actually make it, right? And and I, I don't think that that's publicized enough. And I'll tell you one other thing I'm going to ask you about, Jamila, just because you and I have spoken about this before in the context of, of Nas and hip-hop, is the role that gentrification has played on the idea mm-hmm. of urban sports, because it's like the great athletes, you're seeing them now, like Kevin Durant, LeBron James, 
Dwayne Wade. What do they have in common? They're coming out of private high schools in the suburbs. Right. Which right. I think also has sort of a, a dislocating effect on the traditions and the traditional narratives, frankly, that we're all Absolutely. used to from decades ago. Thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait to see you in Dallas. We're going to have a great time. Same here. Thanks, Dave. Keep Bye. doing what you're doing. Yeah, and what she's doing is amazing work. Yes, sir. That's Jamila King, ladies and gents. Hey, we got to go to break right now. We'll be back after this to wrap up the show. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio to wrap up the show. Coach, we have been hard on the ESPN 30 for 30 series when we have not liked it, like the one that Michael Rappaport uh, exhumed uh, about the Knicks, uh, (laughs) dug it up and put it out on the table and expected us to genuflect. But there was a great one earlier this week called Rand University. About Randy Moss, did you see that one? Yes, I did. I would just. You, I, I hope I didn't prejudice you by hinting at my thoughts, but just straight up to you, buddy. What did you think of Rand University? I'm a Randy Moss fan, so you already got me there. Although I was a Nick fan in those days too. Yeah, that doesn't always do it. <laughs> it doesn't always do it. And, and even with this one, again, our level of of um, of knowledge is so high, and uh, we want more. I was. It was good. It showed me some things that I didn't know uh, that, he, that he, you know. Um, I uh, learned. Mixed, mixed race son, uh, ch- a child. Uh, the solitary the, confinement the, yeah, solitary on weed charges. The tape, the tape to Florida State University. Yeah. You know, and stuff I didn't know. But then, you know, I was looking for more when he got into the NFL side because he, I mean, his rookie year, man, what do you have, 19 touchdowns? I mean, he had a crazy rookie year. It was sick. I mean, it was um, like nothing anybody had ever seen before. Right. And remember, he got all those catches and all those touchdowns fighting with two Pro Bowler Chris Carter who's and Jody Reed, who is a Pro Bowler. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Pro Bowler. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, yeah. right. Carter, yeah, I was thinking HOF, which Carter is. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. But it's just like like that that level of talent yeah. that he's that he's trying to break into, yeah. and he was yeah. just amazing. Yeah. Like yeah. it was like an undeniable talent. Mm. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. If there's any oh, justice man. in the world, yeah. and you know, I, I agree with you that you know. But the thing about and a lot of people were saying this that the thing about Randy Moss is that you want like an epic novel, not a uh, novelization, if you will. Like like you want like a multi volume series. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot there, mm-hmm. so much there. Yeah. that I would love yeah. to have like a, a serious deep sea investigation yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. But for what it was. Amazing. We got fed, yeah. But I, you know, we I got fed. At, I looked at the clock and said, "Oh, it's going off." Wait a minute. There's more to tell. Wait, yeah. Give me more. Another half hour. You know. But, yeah. Like Randy said, Moss. Rand <laughs> University. I'm a fan too. And that's the thing too is that you got to have a compelling subject matter, but you also have the ability to tell the story, as we learned. And that's to me the yin and yang of the Knicks one and the Randy Moss one. You got to do both. You got to yeah. tell it well, and you got to have a good subject. I can't wait for yours. <laughs> hey, for Coach Kevin McNutt, I'm Dave Zirin. It'll be we, ten minutes. Yeah, we are. We're out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.